2018. Damn. Here we go again. Uh, welcome to Jonathan Ramtram, the podcast. Um, yeah, got some uh, goodies to talk about today here. So you know, um, I'm a you know I'm a performer, stand-up comic, and um, I love it. In order in order to keep those uh, dreams burning. Um, I work as a temporary labor, temporary employment, precarious labor, precarious job market situation. Does that make me sound um, more um, dignified? You know when somebody explains their job in a dignified manner, does does it make it less painful? You know, I'm actually um, uh, a temporary working specialist, um, consultant, Estimating uh, time frame management skills and, um, you know, different um, diversion tactics for allocating specific material supplies on a given job site, relegating and delegating those materials, allocating and um, organizing and dismembering and compartmentalizing just different materials. And that would make me a temporary labor contracting subcontractor. And um, yes, meaning um, I haven't had a fucking date since 2013. And uh, I wish I was joking. But yeah, I'm a temporary laborer. And um, yeah, I just like work on construction sites. I um, throw garbage in garbage bins. I sweep up dust. I... um, Sometimes I'll get sent to the mall and they'll be like, we got an order of shoes that got to get unloaded off of this loading dock pronto. Send in the heavies. Right. So then me and a couple guys will show up and like, um, you know, just fucking unload a truck or something. It's awesome. It's like it's stress free. It's cash in hand or not cash in hand. It's um, it's a daily uh, ticket. It's all above board. We get taxed. The government knows about us. (gasps) So, you know, and it's awesome and it keeps me, um, keeps me humble and it keeps me thirsty for fucking my art, baby. Yeah, daddy's a jazz artist, baby. Skibbity bee bop I don't give a fuck. And uh, it's great. And, um, but it's just kind of funny, the cross-section of people, like, like the fucking Toronto Metro Police undercover um, unit or whatever. They were at our job uh, office the other day looking for a man. It's like some guy with like a trench coat and a fedora. He's like kind of skulking around in like the lobby of our of our um, dispatch, our dispatch office for the temp workers. He's like loitering in the fucking foyer. He's just like, hey there, kid. Yeah, you see any suspicious stuff going on around here lately? You know, we're on a case. We're looking for a man. Uh, John Doe. You know, five foot eleven, red hair. Like I, I don't know. Like he's just like, what? Like, what? What happened? Like, I guess they're like investigating some kind of like crime, <laughs> and like they're casing our fucking agency for suspects. 
Like, that's just the kind of people that work at this fucking agency, man. Like, just drug addicts, alcoholics, homeless people, people with mental disorders. A merry band of um, miscreants. And um, it's just funny, the cross-section of people. And then sometimes the jobs that we get sent on, right? Like, for, like the, Invictus, the Invictus games, I believe... They're like a they're a game for like war criminals or something like war criminals that um, you know they they commit atrocity and all sorts of war crimes, and um, you know rape, murder, genocide, and Prince Harry of um, merry old England, Prince Harry he um, started a, a, an Invictus Games right. It's for um, people that have been invicted from society, war criminals. And they can get together and participate in different, um, you know, um, athletic events, shot put, gas chambers, stuff like that. And um, Prince Harry was in town for the Invictus Games like a couple months ago. And our agency um, was sent to the Maple Leaf Gardens, which is like one of the, the places that he was going to be touring. We were sent there to like, um, I wasn't there, but my agency was there to like, I don't know, set up some fucking event for his fucking majesty's pleasure. So um, they, sent this, they sent this one guy. We nicknamed him Sleepy, right? He's this, like, Indian guy from, like, I don't know, he's from um, India or Bangladesh or some shit, right? And he, uh, his name's Anthony, but we call him Sleepy because he's always, like, falling asleep, like, in the middle of a shift. He'll just pass out or, like, he'll, sl- he'll like, slink away to go sleep in a closet or something. Sleepy. And he just mutters on and on, right? He'd just be like, Shut the fuck up, Sleepy. I don't want to hear this shit. What the fuck? Spit it out, Sleepy. What the fuck do you want? You know? So anyway, fucking Sleepy, he's over at uh, Maple Leaf Gardens, and his job is to run the elevator, right? So Prince Harry shuffles out of his fucking coach and wagon or whatever. He's like, oh, hey there, mate. Good morning to you. Top of the morning. My name's Prince Harry. Hey, hey do you know where the black women are? I like some black pussy while I'm on vacation. Prince Harry. I'm Prince Harry. Then he fucking gets into an elevator, and um, he's like, oh, hey, going up, governor. And then fucking, um, fucking Sleepy was there to work the elevator to, like, usher him up to the, I don't know, the, the conference level of the Maple Leaf Gardens or whatever, right? So Sleepy's all like, I double, 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 which way do you want to go, Prince Harry? I'm Prince Harry, today. So, um, it's just kind of funny, just like a fucking street beggar that has narcolepsy is in contact, brushing elbows with Prince Harry of the fucking UK. You know, so it's just, what a fucking mind trip, man. Like the low, the scum of the earth, you know? Somebody called us that once, right? Like, I don't take offense to it. Like, you know, everybody's got to piss and it all swills downhill, right? But um, everybody's got to shit downhill, right? But, um, and I don't get offended. Like, I give a fuck, man. I know who I am. But, um, you know, somebody called us the worst scum of the universe. <laughs> He's like, ah, those, those, those temp workers, you know, they're the worst scum of the, of the earth. 
they didn't they didn't know that I was like uh, I was one of them, right? Like that's another thing. A lot of the people they they think I'm like quote unquote normal. So they feel confide in me, right? They're like, ah, what's with all these fucking temp workers, you know? They're the worst scum of the universe. Look at these fucking miscreants. I'm like, oh, by the way, those are like my coworkers. And they're like, oh, oh, I mean, I mean, uh, well, uh, you know, uh, they're not that bad, I guess. So long story short, man, we'd work a lot of fucking weird jobs. And um, yesterday I was working a job for Loblaws Canada. Loblaws. Loblaws. You know the company? Um, the, it's the largest grocery chain in, in Canada. And they were recently in the news for price fixing. A bread price fixing scam. So it's like they, amongst their competitors, collude, get into a collusion where they set the prices of bread to incrementally um, keep the prices um, on a steady rise through the years or to, to lock the price at a certain price, which they obviously benefit from, right? They make more money that way. And they were in the news recently for price fixing. These fucking people are like, they don't give a fuck about anything but profit, Loblaws. They also have a clothing line called Joe Fresh. I don't know if they own that company, but they're in partner with it. And... Um, Joe Fresh was amongst one of the several clothing companies that was in a, in a fucking, I don't know what you want to call it, a human rights uh, trial or case or whatever. Their factory of production in Bangladesh, one of them a couple years back, um, they were so poorly maintained, they were jamming fucking little Bangladeshi children in there to make clothing around the clock so you can go to fucking Walmart and buy a fucking hoodie with a fucking Captain America emblem on it and wear it to the fucking mall and try to be cute with your stupid fucking friends, right? They, 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 they produce these shitty fucking clothing at a fucking bottom bargain price. And they stuff all these Bangladeshi children into a fucking factory. The fucking thing burns down. They can't escape because obviously it's overcapacitated. And all the fucking fire exits are like faulty and like, you know, poorly run down. And people burn to death in this fucking factory fire. And these are the companies that um, are in bed with Loblaws, right? This Joe Fresh, H&M, these type of companies, right? And that's the kind of fucking company that Loblaws is. They don't give a fuck about anything but profit, you know? And they, they try to be cute with that stupid asshole with the glasses. You know that guy? He, sometimes he's on those commercials. If you don't search for more, then you don't want more. He's like the fucking spokesperson. He's like some silver fox, I guess. You know, like some white guy with like gray hair and glasses. And he thinks he's cute. He tries to fucking be cute. And if you don't search for more, then you don't want more. Oh, good fucking guess. You f good fucking. Is that your advice? If I don't search for more, I won't want more. How about if people don't die in fucking factory fires, then I won't want nothing other than bananas at a decent price. You fucking cocksucker. So that's a law of laws Canada for you in a nutshell. They had a trade show yesterday, Loblaws Canada. So my agency went to go work their trade show, right? And what a debacle. <laughs> well, I won't even call it a debacle. I mean, um, it was actually a, a very decent day of work, which I'll get to. But, um, you know, just the filth behind that company, Loblaws, 
was kind of like, kind of made my palate quiver, to say the least, right? But anyways, the, the, the trade show was held at um, the Toronto Metro Convention Center. And that's kind of a fun thing about um, my little journey as a performer and as a temp worker. I got to work all these random little gigs. So yeah, I'm down at the Metro Convention Center today, or sorry, yesterday. And we, we pulled a 12 hour, we pulled a 10 hour shift, like an 11 hour shift. You know, we started at noon and um, we get to the, the Metro Convention Center and all these fucking yuppies from Loblaws are wandering around with their stupid little badges on and shit, trying to be important, pretending like they have no human rights violations under their fucking belt. Oh, hi. Hey, hey, hey how's it going? I work for Loblaws. No, shut the fuck up. So um, we get there and basically we're tearing down the trade show, right? And it's just such a waste of money. It's all this like, there's these booths and there's all these like um, party equipment. Like, you know, when a company throws a company party and they just buy all this useless shit to try to entertain their fucking uh, guests and try to like build like um oh it's a team team building exercise we're all gonna get into this potato sack and hop across a fucking foyer oh ho, ho. it's team building Candace <laughs> you know and oh, oh, I'm a kid again <laughs> I hate that shit I hate that shit when like. They try to get you to play ping pong or like, you know, oh, we're going to go tobogganing. <laughs> oh, I'm a kid again. <laughs> oh, look at the look at the gleeful wonder in my eye. I'm a kid again. You know, it's so stupid. So like they're doing all these stupid little, you know, they're playing darts and bingo and fucking having sock hops and shit. So I'm there to clean up the fucking mess, right? You know, of course. And, um... <laughs> We get there with the cavalry, the temp workers, and I was on a good crew, a bunch of cool guys, and um, so we get there, and um, we're getting ready to, to, you know, just tear down the trade show and throw away all this rubble, this useless garbage that Loblaws, you know, you know, with all their bread price-fixing money, was able to, um, you know, shell out all this fucking waste that's just going to end up, end up in, you know, the garbage, you know, basically, ultimately. So, you know, before we're getting ready for a shift, um, the guy that's like the head foreman that's like supervising all the workers um, for this fucking uh, teardown, you know, he's a real square asshole, you know? He's like, you know, I don't want to see any drapery on the ground. I don't want to see this. I don't want to see that. And the drapery, there's to be no drapery on the ground, you know? They had all these fucking drapes hung to look like, you know, some fancy rock video, you know, like when YouTube plays a new single and they, 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 you know, they sing and they're standing on a carpet and there's like drapes, drapery in the background. There's all these drapes everywhere. Drapes, drapes, drapes. Oh, don't I feel like I'm at home, you know? When I was a toddler, I used to shit behind the drapes. That's what my mother told me. I'd sneak off and take a dump behind the drapes. That's all I was thinking. Like, uh, maybe I'll go take a shit behind those drapes. Oh, look at the drapes. There's so many drapes everywhere. So we're taking down the drapes, and uh, the foreman's like, I want to see no drapes on the ground. Look, calm down, you fucking wacko. So we get to work, and, uh, you know, this is just like some of the daily minutia of uh, daily joy, really, because, like, there's going to be a time in my life when I can't do this type of work anymore. That's why I'm so happy to do it. 
you know, because like it's a physical job. You're moving things around. You're screwing things. Wink, wink. You're nailing things, hammering things, beating things. Um, and you're moving and you're using your body and it's great, right? So like I'm happy to do it now because there's going to be a time when I can't. You know, I'm going to be like some fucking 90-year-old man. I can't do that shit no more. Chuckle Buddy's retired, man. I was like, you know, so I'm grateful for it now. And it, it puts bread on my table and it fucking um, pays my bills. So it's all good. Nothing to worry about. And the guys were really cool, man. Like, uh, they were like these yokel type dudes, but they were really cool. Like, I don't know, they were just funny and like, um, you know, we were able to talk and uh, get along really well. And I don't know if you've ever been at these trade shows or these teardowns, but there's like different unions for it, right? Like event setup and stuff like that. And there's a lot of like, um, I guess you would call like event setup people, industry people. I don't know what you would call them, like technicians, the tech people, right? And there's always, you know, they always have the certain type, right? They wear the blundstone boots and they always got little belt holders with like pen knives and highlighters and sharpies in them. And they, they try to be trendy and shit. And, you know, it's kind of funny. Like, I guess they're like struggling artists as well, right? Like, that's the type of person that does these type of jobs, you know, like event set up, uh, temporary labor, people who want to be artistic and free. And um, for the good or the bad, that's what it is, right? Like, I mean, who am I to say they are artistic or they aren't, you know? They have, they always show it more than I do. I don't fucking dress any particular way, right? I wear, like, normal-looking shit. But a lot of these people, they're always trying to look artistic, you know? They got tattoos up to the gills. They're wearing blundstone boots. They got some stupid haircut. And, um, but one thing I noticed about the women is, like, um, they, they got that real sexy tattoo girl look to them. A lot of these, like, setup girls... Like, they got that sexy tattoo girl, like, nightmare before Christmas look. You know? What's this? What's this? There's magic in the air. What's this? What's this? I never understood that. Like, there's some kind of weird thing in the white woman subculture where it's like, they're really into that fucking nightmare before Christmas, that Tim Burton film. I don't know. It's just kind of strange. But they got that, like, that, like you know, sorrowful tattoo girl look. Like, the sadistic, masochistic, I cut myself at night kind of cute, sultry kind of look, you know, it's like, oh, look at her, she's depressed and shit, ah, oh. you know, they got that look, and um, to be honest, I'm not really into that look anymore, you know, not that I ever really was, but like, um, uh, you know, living in Toronto, I got, I got that fucking jungle fever, baby, jungle lion, I got that jungle fever, man, I'm, you know, but, you know, on a little side tangent there, that's what I'm saying. There's these, like, little fucking tattoo goddesses skimping around and, like, they, they got their stupid hard hats on and their little fucking reflector vests and shit looking important. So, you know, I'm staring at that all day yesterday. That was kind of nice. And um, so here, check this out. Here's the fucking, here's the, the caveat, if that's the word. So, you know, the blessing being it's a great day, it's a great shift. We're all working, we're all getting along real well. And, um, you know, sometimes you score on these jobs where it's like, um, there's, um, there's like a catered event, right? Cause it was for obviously Loblaws, those, uh, price pinching fucking soul bandits, uh, those price fixing bastards. Um, they're a grocery company, obviously. Right. So they were, I guess, 
they catered it, right? So they had all these fancy cooks cooking their brand, their brand name of food and stuff, right? And it was a smorgasbord. Oh my God, there was like leftover sandwiches of all types, right? All sorts of great food. And um, a lot of the guys in the crew were these big guys, right? Like these big kind of chubby guys, heavy set guys, heavy set fellas. I heard somebody call them, oh, the heavy set fellas. There was like five of them. There were like some pretty big guys, man. They really were like... Um, and this one guy, Sean, he's, he works for my agency as well. And um, he looks like CeeLo Green. I see you driving around town with a girl I love. And I'm like, fuck you and a fuck her too. And if I was richer, then I would be with her. Ain't that some shit? Fucking CeeLo Green, uh, Sean. <laughs> His name's Sean. He looks like CeeLo Green. And, um, you know, there's this other guy, Clinton, this other tall black guy, Clinton. And he's like... Sean, go go see if we can go see if we can get some get some of that food, right? They had the food they had the food like um on a red carpet. There's like this fucking red carpet that was like the size of a city block and it had a table on it, like this long ass table, and there was all this food on it, right? And there was a security guard. This guy looked like he had like some kind of mental disorder, like honestly. Um uh, uh, I'm not even trying to be funny. He just looked like he had a mental disorder. He had like this internal struggle that he kept battling with. He had like all these ticks and twitches and he's like staring at everybody and shit. It's like that's a spectrum candidate right there. But um you know, the security guard, he's guarding the fucking table of uh of sandwiches, right? And we're like, "Sean, Sean, Silo, go check out go check out the fucking sandwich table. See what you can do, man." So, you know, Shawnee waddles over there and he, he's poking around and shit. He's making inquiries. And we're not sure, right? We're like, what the fuck? You know, it's like, they're just going to throw that shit in the garbage, right? So then uh, we're like, whatever. And the, the fat guys, they kept on grumbling about it. They're like, oh, look at him. Look at that fucking security guard, you know? If he knows what's good for him, he better let us at that table. Uh, he's like staring at them and shit. And um, so finally it's break time. And... Um, Stampede. Turns out um, we're loud at the fucking um, the the goodie table, right? So all the big guys they go waddling over, they're running, right? And I'm telling you, it was heaven sent. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm talking Havarti falafel hummus wraps. I'm talking charbroiled veggie shish kebabs. Mmm. Mouth-watering dessert trays. Oh. Hearty sandwiches for the meat lovers. Ah. Cheese and potato soup. Ooh. Jaw-smashing coffee at the freshest brew. Ah. You know, all we had to do was dig it out of the compost bin, you know. They're about to throw it in the compost bin. We're like, hey, wait, wait, wait. No, wait. We'll, we'll, we'll fucking take that. Oh, God, it was good, you know? And now that I'm a sober man, like, that's where I really get my kicks these days, I find, you know? Like, um, I'm sober as a fucking judge. And um, I, uh... No, I'm not drinking. I'm having a coffee. Sober as a judge, and that's where I get, like, my fucking kicks these days. Like, I like to eat healthy, and I, I eat healthy, and I, um, I'm a pescatarian. So, um, hopefully that gets me some pussy. But, um, yeah, I'm a pescatarian. Oh my god, how can you how, how can you stand for the murder of young animals, you son of a bitch? No, I'm a, actually I'm a pescatarian, miss. Oh, well um Oh, so yeah, how long have you been a pe- pescatarian? 
That's happened to me before. You know, women, they really turn that table quick when they find out that you do something with heart. They're like, oh my God, he has a heart. <laughs> so um, anyway, I'm a pescatarian, but um, now that I'm also a recovering alcoholic, I um, that's where I get my joy. Oh, the joy, the joy of eating a fucking, like, you know, having a nice dessert. Ooh, I, I remember the first time, like, food came back into my mind as something that is enjoyable. Because, like, when you're an active alcoholic, at least I in my type, like, I did not, um, I didn't even consider food. Like, I ate, obviously. And I actually had the reversed effect. Like, whenever I smoked pot, which I did obviously, well, not that I did obviously, but I smoked weed every day pretty much as well. Like, um, weed never made, I never got the munchies. Like, if I was smoking weed and drinking, I wouldn't get that hungry. But if I was just straight up drunk, like a sloppy drunk, then I'd be hungry. Like, drinking made me hungry. Smoking weed made me, like, paranoid and, like, not paranoid. Well, yeah, paranoid, but, you know, I don't have to get into that. But, um, yeah, I remember the first time food came back into my mind as something that is, like, pleasurable and to be, like, you know, considered. Because I'd never considered it. It was just something I, you know, like, you know, you wake up and you're breathing. You know, you wake up and you have to eat. Like, that's how I looked at food. I didn't give a fuck about it. It was just something I had to do. I have to eat, right? More importantly, I had to get drunk. But um, I remember, uh, yeah, I was maybe two months over, and I walked into my office, the uh, temporary labor office. And um, I go up to uh, the counter, and there's some cupcakes on the counter. And there's a lady behind the counter. She goes, hey, John, uh, you want a cupcake? And I was like, okay. She goes, which one? And I was like, huh, which one? Uh, and I'm looking at the cupcakes, right? And just that was the first time it dawned on me. It's like I hadn't even, like, I, you know, it never even occurred to me to really think about what I was eating when I was out there in addiction because I didn't care. It was all about getting drunk and high. Like, food was a secondary thought. Like, you know, I'll be hammered at fucking midnight. I'll stumble over to, you know pizza pizza and get a, a slice or whatever, right? Like, I'm not going to give a fuck about making a meal plan, right? So, um, you know, oh, like, that's just the beauty of it. And that's why I was so grateful for that food, you know? It was, like, some really interesting stuff, man. The the uh, the Havarti falafel hummus wrap, that was bomb, man. Oh, my God. It was so good. And, um, you know, I had that. So check this out. The big boys, right? They're going fucking titties, man. They're going balls deep. The one dude had two... He ate a sub. It was a sub. It was like a... It was like a salami and cheese and blah, 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 like sandwich. This thing was big. He had two of those. So it was like almost eating a foot-long sandwich from Subway. Sandwich from Subway, foot-long sandwich. Say that ten times quick. Foot-long Subway for sand... sand whatever. He ate like a foot-long sandwich from Subway, basically, right? And then he also had a pita wrap. And then he had like cookies and a pup. Round two comes around, right? And uh, round two was fucking hilarious, right? It's the second break now, right? We're just like moving shit around, packing up uh, little odds and ends from the trade show. So now it's our second break, right? And um, fuck, this cracked me up, man. This made my fucking night. Uh, Clinton, he goes... Um, Okay, guys, you ready for round two? You guys ready for round two? And he goes, 
Last one over is a rotten dodo egg. <laughs> Last one over is a rotten dodo egg. <laughs> you guys remember that from the Flintstones? Wilma! Oh, hey, Fred. Hey, Bon, you know? Oh. Yeah, man. Last word over is a rotten dodo egg. Like, that brought me back, man. Holy fuck. It was just so childish and funny. And, like, they were racing each other, right? These big guys, they're, like, kind of elbowing each other and running for the fucking desserts and shit. It was just playful banter. It was kind of cool, you know what I mean? little blessing for a nice day of work, right? And, um... But, you know, as I was walking around the event hall, right, it, it was really starting to get kind of eerie because, like, it reminded me of The Shining, you know? Like, I'm a kind of a creeper guy myself, right? Like, I recently just watched The Shining by myself in the dark, you know? You know, that's the, that's the kind of charm that I can put forward to a woman in the dating world. It's like, what are your hobbies? Um, I don't know, um, watching horror movies alone in the dark... Talking to myself and putting it on the internet. You know, these are, these are some of my hobbies, you know. But I was watching The Shining alone in the dark uh, on the weekend. And that's a fucking terrifying movie. And, like, the event hall was kind of creepy because it kind of looked like that, right? And I'm getting all these flashbacks from all these scenes, right? You know? You remember that scene when Danny gets attacked by that woman in the shower? You know? Wendy comes over to him. She's like, Jack, Jack, we, we got to leave the hotel. Danny, we got to get him to a doctor. He's like, that's just so fucking typical of you, isn't it, Wendy? When I finally start to do something for myself, when I'm really starting to get into my work. I could really write my ticket for myself, can't I? Go back to Boulder, work at a car wash, shoveling driveways. You have fucked my life up this far, but it's not going to happen this time. <laughs> Slams the door and like storms out. I'm like, holy fuck, right? It was like terrifying. And like, I, I really got the pain of, you know, obviously he's a horrible, afflicted man. So I don't want to sympathize too much with him. But he's an alcoholic, right? He plays an alcoholic, um, five months sober. And I fucking totally simple, like, just seeing that movie now, and, like, I saw, I first saw that movie when I was, like, a teenager. Here I am now, a 31-year-old man. I've probably seen that movie 10 times throughout the years, right? And, um, it never, the whole alcohol part, like, most people, when you don't really understand addiction, you really think it's just as simple as, oh, um... You know, this is a person who drinks too much, and if they had any self-control, they could stop drinking. They don't really understand the full grip of an addiction, when it's like there's something that's happening to your body that's beyond your control. Well, it's not beyond your control, but for the time being, your body is addicted. You know, like your body is fighting a craving for the substance. So number one, there's the physical aspect. And number two, there's the uh, mental aspect, like the uh, mental obsession. You know, there's a mental obsession. There's a game of fucking chess in your head about whether or not you're going to drink. You know, and to see that as an alcoholic in recovery and as a, now as an aware alcoholic and also as an alcoholic in recovery, like to see that, that fucking, that 
torment he's going through from the very beginning of the film. Like, you might wonder, why is he so fucking tormented or so angsty at the beginning of the film? Well, yeah, you know, you know, he's sitting there in the manager's office and he's all smug and he's, you know, answering really tersely and he's really grouchy with his family from the very onset of the film. And yeah, there, he has all the shit that's going on in his head. He's got to support his family for sure. He's probably coming unglued mentally somehow, right? But there's also the alcoholism, right? And I saw that, like that fucking feeling of like five months sober and just like holding it together. And like when he goes into that fucking hall, you know, and he goes up to the bartender. I always liked you, Lloyd. Best goddamn bartender from Portland, Oregon to Portland, Maine. Timbuktu for that matter. Whatever he says, right? Um, like that seduction of taking that first drink. Your money's no good here, Mr. Torrance. Have a drink. And the guy pours him a fucking bourbon. Oh my God. Like that seduction of taking that fucking drink. And here's to five miserable goddamn months. <laughs> he downs it down the hatch. Oh my God. It's like, I saw that. And I just, my heart cried out for the guy. Like five months. Like if you can, like when you're not used to even taking five hours sober, like, I'm talking five hours. I'm talking, you know, 50 minutes sometimes. Like, think of, like when you're a full-on alcoholic and you're in that craving world, like, it, you can't even go five hours. You can't go five days. It's an eternity. It's hell. It's like you're so restless, irritable, and discontent. You hate yourself. You're crawling in your skin. Your mind is going a mile a minute. You don't want to live in yourself, but you don't want to die. You're just in this fucking angry, ugly state of mind, right? So when you fight through to that sobriety and when you get over to the other side, man, it's such a blessing. And then when you see somebody go back, oh my God, like, it's like, oh man, here's to five goddamn miserable months. <laughs> Takes a drink. <laughs> oh man. Oh. You know, and he's like, you know, and then Wendy, Wendy, you know, his fucking, oh, what a darling she was. You know, that's the first time watching that movie I realized, too. She was actually, like, she was obviously a great mother, like, in the film. But, like, she she really was the only one taking care of the Overlook Hotel. She was doing all the maintenance. She was checking the boiler. She was cooking the meals. She was taking care of the Dan, of Danny, the kid. Yeah, red rum, red rum. I used to do that shit, man, like, as my joke. I, like when I first started doing comedy nine years ago, I, um, you know, I used to do that shit, you know, Jonathan's not here, Mrs. Torrance. Like, who's Tony? He's the little boy that lives in the back of my mouth. All that creepy shit. I'd go on stage all hammered. Red rum! Red rum! You know, I'm not saying it was funny. I'm just saying I did it. And, um... I, don't know, I was like obsessed with that movie for a bit, you know. I'm like, I go on the stage, I'm like, hi everybody. Do you know who Tony is? He's the little boy that lives in the back of my mouth. Red rum, red rum, and fuck with my finger and shit. You know, it got a, it got a rise out of people. You know, if I was like some kind of, um, if I could like, you know, wear a scarf and hold a pipe or something, and you know, try to talk it up as some kind of ulterior. Alternative, alternative uh, comedy that really it's questioning the filmatic the filmatic theme of um, 
um, you know, um, characterized so poignantly by the um, Stanley Kubrick. And what I'm doing is I'm holding a reflective mirror up to the art of, you know, I give some hoity-toity response for why I did that. But, um, you know, I could probably get away with it, too, if I had, like, the fucking um, arrogance. But um, I'll just call it hack. It was kind of fun doing it, though, you know. It's, it's actually very fun screaming at an audience. You know, they might not have a fun time with it, but it's, it's, an, it's enthralling to just, you know, really yell at an audience. But anyways, back to Danny's mom there, you know, um, Shelley Duvall. Yeah, she was, she, you know, that voice of hers, too, you know. And she's, uh, when she's, like, uh, radioing, radioing into the, to the, uh, to the cops. You remember that? She's calling into the cops when, um, they're having that, uh, snowstorm. She's like, Roger. Can't even really do her voice. She's like, she's like, this is, uh, this is Wendy at the Overlook Hotel. Over. <laughs> uh, hi there, miss. Uh, yeah, it's snowing as a motherfucker out. Uh, are you folks doing okay up there? We're doing okay up here. Sure would like to know when the phone's going to get fixed sometime. Over. <clears throat> Wasn't she in Popeye? Anyways, yeah, so there's uh, Wendy. And, um, you know, remember Scatman Crothers? Oh, fuck. Scatman Crothers, man. That guy was the shit. Oh, Danny. Oh, why don't you want to... Hey, Danny, I didn't know you had the shining to you. Like, what's in room 237? There ain't nothing in room 237, Danny. Now you just don't go in there. I'm the black cook. And uh, he takes he takes Wendy into the pantry. Scatman Crothers. Oh, it ain't nothing but a kitchen. We got all sorts of canned peaches, canned vegetables, canned ham, dry cereal, hot cereal, pancakes, raisin bran. We got 10 legs of lamb, 15 pounds of hamburger, chicken breast, chicken thighs, full turkey. <laughs> I'm Scatman Crothers. <laughs> oh, hey there, Danny. Would you like some ice cream, Doc? Would you want some ice cream, Doc? Of course they kill him. That's, that's another thing that annoyed me about that film, though. Because in the book, they don't kill him, right? A nigger. Delbert? Delbert Grady? Aren't you the one who killed your family and chopped them up into nice little pieces and stacked them in the foyer? No. You were always the caretaker, sir. I merely corrected them, sir. There's a nigger, cook, on his way to the hotel, sir. You must correct him as well. They corrected Scatman Carruthers. But like in the book, they didn't kill him, right? In the book, he lived. So um, I had to read the book because the movie was so fascinating. I'm like, what the fuck with all these people in masks and fucking? And like, why, why the fuck was he in that picture in the end, right? I ain't going to ruin, ruin it for you. You got to read the book yourself. So um, that was my enchantful day of work at the fucking uh, Metro Convention Center. You know, long about a way of telling it. Thank you for listening. And, um, you know... Um, it all ended really well, you know what I mean? Um, the dude, he came up and he shook our hand. You know, the remember I told you guys about that squared asshole boss of mine? The guy who was like, oh, the drapes, the drapes, uh, watch out for the drapes or whatever. You know, he turned out to be really cool. He came up to us afterwards. He said, you know what, guys, thank you very much. You did a wicked job today. Everything got done just the way I liked it. Thank you very much. 
He chipped us off like an extra hour of pay, shook all of our hands, and we walked out of there fed to the gills in the fucking radiance of the Lord, in the radiance of Jesus Christ. And uh, yeah, it was a great day, man. Wicked. And it just got me thinking, you know, because like I say, as a performer, you got to work all these different jobs or as a person trying to do whatever the fuck you want to do in your life. You got to work a lot of different jobs. You got to do shit you don't actually want to do. And it keeps in mind for me, it helps me keep in mind the idea of reflective beauty. You know, the idea of doing something that you can reflect on as beautiful. I ain't trying to be too cute, but like it's that idea of reflective beauty, something you can reflect on as beautiful, something you do for yourself, right? And that's why it's a blessing to, like I say, it's a beautiful thing to be able to be physically able to work. I'm just grateful. Instead of, you know, I can look at it as, you know, oh yeah, we're the worst scum of the universe, you know, we work these stupid temp gigs, but it's like, no, man, I'm just a dude that works these jobs and it's great and it keeps me content. I can be humble about it. And I'm not trying to feign a sense of humility, you know. My humility comes and goes. I'm an actor. I got my ego. I got my fucking... I'm a comic. I got my ego. I got... I'm a human being. I got my fucking ego. So I got to keep that in check. But like, um, generally speaking, reflective beauty helps me to keep my humility, you know. And that's why when I go out and I do a gig, whether I'm getting paid, whether I'm doing an open mic, whether it's a horrible gig, whether, whether it's a fantastic full gig phantasmical gig whether it's just complete orgasms like i gotta keep that uh reflective beauty in my mind you know so anyways it's your old chuckle buddy guess what john the ram Dram, reporting live for duty on uh january 30th 2018 jobless hit me up at jr.thepodcast at gmail.com jr.thepodcast at gmail.com and you have yourself a blessed day thank you